today we're doing a deep dive on one particular topic that we haven't heard discussed very much in the fire community. It's the topic of IVF. So we have a couple on today that went through this journey at the beginning of their fire journey, and they have a lot of insights to share in terms of how to perhaps get funding for IVF, what expenses that you can expect, how this will impact your in your fire plan. So we're excited to share this with you guys today. And we also want to hear if you have any feedback or any or if this resonates with any of you let's talk about it after in the facebook group welcome to fire drill podcast where side hustles savings and creativity lead to financial independence with your hosts gwen from fiery millennials and jay from millennial boss hey everyone we have jenny and jimmy here with us welcome guys happy to be here how's it going awesome and gwen is here too hey everyone hey hey All right, so can you two introduce yourselves? Hi, I am Jenny, and I have my husband Jimmy here with me, and we're both from Southwest Florida. And I am an ER nurse, and Jimmy is a firefighter, and we have one adorable little munchkin, Sophia. She is 15 months old, and she is the product of our IVF journey, which took us what, like three years to get her? Yep, about three years of trying. She's kind of the topic of the podcast today, but she's also the reason we found financial independence, uh, as we'll get into the cost associated with conceiving our daughter, led us down the rabbit hole to find financial independence, which is what we're working towards now. So Jay and I are suckers for meet cute stories. So how did you guys meet? We actually met in the emergency room where we both worked. I'm a nurse and he was a paramedic there. I didn't talk to him for the first two years because you don't know what he looks like, but he looks like a bit of a meathead. (laughs) And (laughs) so his looks do not match his brain. And after those two years, we were out one night and after a few drinks, we just started chatting. And honestly, after that, we never separated. He's much smarter than he looks. He made a great husband, so I'm glad we went out that night. Yeah, that night out was at the line dancing bar. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the cutest story ever. So we have a meathead, hunky-looking firefighter and a nurse that meet each other in the emergency room. That's like so adorable. So adorable. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. It's like the story is a little insulting, but it's also like really heartwarming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's our life, yeah. Actually, my husband, he refers to himself as an intellectual meathead. So, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, there yeah. is like a certain niche of meatheads that, you know. Sub niche. Yeah, yeah sub niche of meatheads. They should start a support group. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, so you guys have a really cute story, and this led to your wonderful daughter. And that's why we wanted to bring you guys on today, because we are not seeing many people discussing this aspect of the FI journey. And for a lot of couples who do choose to have children, they may need to go the IVF route. And we're not talking about how that impacts financial independence very broadly in the community right now. So tell us, how did it kind of start? How did your baby journey start for you guys? Well, it actually didn't start as a baby journey per se. Even though I'm a nurse, I was in like complete denial. And I knew I had some problems. I had irregular periods. I had pain. I had all this weird stuff. And we went to my gynecologist and I said, hey, I think I have endometriosis. I need you to clean me out. And she referred me actually to a fertility doctor. Still in complete denial, I told him I just wanted to feel better. And babies weren't really our focus. We figured they would just come after I got a little clean out, as I called it. Well, after a series of testing, 
we realized how bad it was. And then it went from, I want to feel better to let's do anything we can to make this baby. And I kind of found out that we were on a bit of a time crunch. So regardless of whether we were already in our financial journey or not, we had to do this now. And if we wanted to do it, then it was going to cost us a little bit of money. Just to touch briefly on the, um, no one's really talking about it. It's interesting. I guess it's kind of like when you're looking for something, you'll find it. But once we started this, we'd never heard of anyone doing it basically that we know of in our inner circle or outer circle. And once we started this, we found out how many kids that we know that were born via IVF, you know, our friends that had to go through it, family that had to go through it. It's just, it's not something people talked about, but we found out that they went through the same thing. Well, and it's like miscarriages, right? Like, what is the statistic? Like, one in four women will have a miscarriage, but nobody talks about it. But so many women have gone through it that we should be talking about it. It's not some form of, you know, taboo topic. Like, we need to be in there and be able to support the women that are going through that if you've been through that. Exactly. And that's after we went through it. I thought I was pretty open, but I was really surprised after... I was talking more about it and showed the pictures of Sophie on Facebook and thanked our doctor. And I was surprised how many people hadn't realized that we had done it. So I really try to focus on helping a lot of our friends and our family because, like you said, there's so many that are so close to us that we would have had no idea they were going through it. Yeah, and it can be tough to talk about. I know it actually took me a little bit to convince her that it was a post she needed to write for other people and for herself. And, uh, I think it was a good post that she wrote about about the process. You are pretty smart. Okay, so talk to us about the finances. The finances of it. It cost us $90,000, which when we did our tax returns, our accountant was, you're sure you want me to write this down? I said, yes, I have all of the receipts. Please give me a little bit of money this back on this tax return. Yes, because you can write off a little bit of medical bills. But all in all, it, it took us a lot of money, but we had a lot of stumbling blocks. And I guess we're kind of a good story because we hit most every stumbling block, I guess you could hit with infertility. So we know the ins and outs of it, I guess. It was $90,000 over about two years. So as somebody who hasn't had to go down this path, mostly because I'm still trying to actively avoid having kids at the moment, (laughs) what were some of those stumbling blocks that you hit? Well, first was uh, I had to have a few surgeries for the endometriosis and then there was all the testing. The good part about that was that pretty much was covered by our insurance aside from your co-pays and such. But then we found out that I have something called Fragile X. I'm a Fragile X carrier. Ah, So what is Fragile X for those who don't know that? Not many. I had no idea what it was. For me, it means pretty much nothing. But if we were going to have children, it means that if we have a boy, because he would get my X chromosome, that he has a very high likelihood of mental retardation. And the only way to test for that was genetic testing of our embryos. And it added about $6,000 to $8,000 to each cycle. So we had that. My ovaries from the endometriosis, probably the equivalent of about a 50, 60-year-old woman. So we couldn't really get any eggs from me. And we had to use a lot of extra drugs in some places and do some different types of cycles that aren't the standard per se. The process actually went... She had her surgeries, you know, the doctor took a look at everything and he basically came back to us and said, yeah, you're not getting pregnant on your own and you're not getting pregnant with IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, which is way less invasive than the IVF. 
we decided to try it anyway, the IUI. It was only a few grand, only in the grand scheme of things, only a few grand. Drop in uh, the bucket. Yeah. At the end of it, it ended up being that, yeah. So those didn't work. And then we did three IVF cycles. And the reason we had to do three is the first one yielded zero viable embryos. So there was nothing to implant. The second one yielded one semi-viable embryo that did not implant. And the third one, which brought us our daughter, she was the only viable embryo we had to use. And it worked out. So we had none left over. She was it. And she's here and she's perfect. Oh, I love a good story that has a happy ending. (laughs) Yay. I am going to ask a very personal question. You guys don't have to answer. But how old are you guys? What bracket are you in? Oh, I'm 30. I was 26, almost 27 when we started the whole process. And I'm a bit of a cougar. Yeah, she's my sugar mama. (laughs) uh, I'll be 28 in a couple weeks. (laughs) He's an old soul with an old body. Everything's breaking off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. The reason I'm saying this, and I don't want to freak everyone out because I am now I'm having a little bit of a heart attack because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm older than you guys. But um, (laughs) this is not something like, oh, you know, you had chose to wait like you guys were young. So this is something that could affect more people than they think could be affected by it. Yes. And the thing I will say is don't ignore your body. I've had problems since I got my period when I was nine. So it was a regular and weird the entire time. And, you know, the docs just kept saying, you adjust, you adjust. And they changed my birth control. So I knew something was up, but you kind of never want to think something is wrong. So don't ignore your body. Just get things checked out. And if you think something might be wrong, listen to yourself. I think the funny part is that a lot of my really close girlfriends right after we did this, because we're all in the same age, we were all thinking about having kids. And one of them was really worried. And so she started trying right away to have a baby because she thought it would take just as long as us. Lo and behold, she got pregnant the first time they had sex after saying that. So (laughs) don't let it freak you out. It doesn't happen to everyone. So while we're still talking about this, I was just going to ask how they paid for it. Like, did put on credit and paid off afterwards? Did they save up and do it a bit at a time? Okay, so we didn't have the option to save it up and kind of do a bit at a time. And that's what we were talking about before we were talking to you was, would we have done anything differently? Could we have done anything differently? And to be honest, no. It was one of those, if you have an emergency fund, that is a true emergency. We had no time. My body was not going to wait. And we barely made it for this one. So we worked a lot of overtime and basically did nothing but Netflix and work. Yeah. So the process, it's very easy to not spend money other than the IVF during the process because it's, we made it sound pretty simple going there through it, but it's a very strenuous process. I mean, I'm injecting her with medication on a daily basis. She's getting injected with hormones. So going through all sorts of emotional ups and downs and it's tiring and it's physically and emotionally demanding just to go through the process. So we did a lot of binging, watching TV and go finding shows and we'd stay inside for a week basically at a time. So yeah, to pay for it, we credit cards, credit cards. personal loan, small family loan. And at the very end, we look up and uh, we had spent $90,000 and that's how much debt we had. Well, we had $120,000 in debt total, 90 of it just from this. We floated quite a bit of like daily expenses, I guess, on the credit cards at the time thought we were doing pretty well, but just trying to keep some sort of normalcy, we still traveled during it a little bit, 
because you kind of need a mental break sometimes. And we disconnected from the finances and just lived a little bit. And I don't have regrets for that. Definitely not the travel. And looking back, I don't think we could have done anything differently financially. I just don't. If you had learned about FIRE first and you maybe you're someone listening that th- this is something that may be in their future, what would you do to prepare for it now? It was actually very tough for us because, well, for me especially, I've always been very, very frugal. I never knew about financial independence, but I was very frugal. I didn't have debt. I mean, one year before I met my wife, I made eight grand and I lived on my own and still made it. So to be in debt was a new thing for me. But if we had found out about FI 10 years before this happened, well, yeah, we'd have been in good position because we'd be almost FI and we'd have these reserves. If we had found out about FI, you know, one year before this happened, there's not much we could have done because we were in a time constraint. Her endometriosis was progressing and is actually still is progressing to be even more open. She'll be needing a hysterectomy within the next 12 months. So we didn't have the luxury of time to wait it out. But a lot of people do. Some people do. Yes. Yes. If you have that time and you know about financial independence, if you can save up cash, that's absolutely what I would do. If that was an option, there are so many ways that you can buckle down because you know you want this that bad. And you'd be amazed what you can do when you want it that bad, which is how we ended up paying off the debt is because we wanted it that bad. We wanted to be out of debt for our daughter hopefully before she was born, which we did end up making. But I mean, I was not a budgeter before. (laughs) So if somebody is in your situation, they've been on the path for five for two years and they're say saving up for a new car or saving up for a house down payment, you would say use that and then build that up later. Oh, for sure. A little bit about how things can be funded with the fertility treatments. They of course offer you kind of like a loan. It's basically a medical credit card but the interest rates are about 16%. And even before budgeting and FI, I knew that's bad. So, I mean, I'll use my credits, transfer to 0% balances. I would do anything before taking the loan out from them. So if you're already on your path to FI, yes, take out your emergency fund, you know, pull money from your investments if you can, wherever you can cash flow it, cash flow it because you're going to make it up super quickly. But if that's what you want, this is something very important to you. I think, obviously, this is something that brings me value and joy. Yeah. If, uh, you know, if parenthood is your ultimate goal, then yeah, I would, I would say pull all your reserves and do that. There are other ways to become a parent as well, but they all cost money. And, you know, adoption, egg donation, it's all going to cost money. So you're going to have to come up with the funds somehow. So I guess insurance probably doesn't cover a lot of this, but it might cover some things. What are the things that insurance might cover? And that's a great question. So a hindsight thing is I wish I'd done a bit more research on this before during the process because our insurance I did look into, it covered zero, absolutely zero. It would cover the medical problems, like I said, for the endometriosis surgeries prior to the IVF, but it covered absolutely zero of medications and procedures. The good news is that 15 states require coverage for IVF. So if you live in one of those 15 states, you are golden. The other good news is if you work for a company that their home base is in one of those states, that's where their insurance covers. So a big thing is to do your research. Look into your insurance. An example would be Starbucks. They're one of those companies. If you work for them anywhere, you know their headquarters is in a state that mandates coverage for IVF. Okay, I'm going to read the states. 
Arkansas, California, Connecticut, Hawaii, Illinois, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Montana, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Rhode Island, Texas, and West Virginia. Perfect. I wrote them down just in case you didn't. Oh, you already had them? I feel like I'm singing that song from my childhood, like Alabama, Alaska. You guys know that song? Yeah, Animaniacs. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I was thinking of I've Been Everywhere, man. Uh, That song. Wrong song. (laughs) Oh, so many. Okay, cool. So. Perfect. That Animaniacs? (laughs) Yeah, it's sing to Sunk to Turkey in the Straw. Oh, oh. I read somewhere that there are other programs where you only pay or you get a refund if you're successful. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, which we took into consideration. In our area, we don't have those types of clinics, but a few of them are, an example would be in Chicago. It was $22,000. You got three tries of a fresh cycle. Of course, if you have any variables like the PGS testing, which is the genetic testing we had to do, that isn't included. But as a package, three fresh cycles, $22,000. If you're not successful, you get your money back. Sounds like a great deal, but if they get you on the first try, you just paid $22,000 for one IVF cycle. And like I said, we were in denial and naive. So when we started, I was sure we were just going to need one. And I was not looking into those kind of programs, to be honest. Did you guys ever consider medical tourism? We did talk about it. It's kind of cool because over in Europe, they do a ton of procedures and it it's not as crazy as it sounds to leave the country and go do it over there. You go for a few weeks and they do the pre-stuff and then they take your eggs and you go back a few weeks later and you do have to stay for some observation. But it's remarkably cheaper. What was it, like $5,000? Yeah, it's crazy how much cheaper it was than here. We did try one uh, semi-form of medical tourism the drugs, if you get them from overseas in a, what I guess was a semi shady way, I'm not sure because they got held up at customs. We tried to get some of the drugs from overseas and it got held up at customs and ended up getting shipped back. And we just ended up canceling that order. It didn't work out for us there. Do you know anyone who's done that? I mean, it seems kind of, I know we talk about medical tourism quite a bit in this community, but does that seem risky to you based on what you went through with the surgery to do that abroad? Well, mine is, like I said, a little bit different. For the standard, if you're just unexplained infertility, I don't think it's crazy at all. I have a few friends of friends who have done it, no one close to me, but they've been successful. And they didn't report any problems with it. And all the research that I did on it, it looks pretty legitimate. It's not like you're going to Mexico to get some Botox. They have great (laughs) medical facilities over there. (laughs) And they're actually far more advanced than we are over here in the fertility realm. Hey, I do know people that have gone to Mexico to get stem cell injections. It come out just fine. Do do they? (laughs) Yes, actually. Stem cells versus getting a baby. I don't don't know, handsome. (laughs) So what about HSAs? Do you guys have an HSA? So neither one of us actually have access to an HSA, unfortunately, through work anyway. Kind of uh, ironic, given that you work in yeah, ag- industry. And actually, her insurance through the hospital is not very good. She's covered under my insurance, as is our daughter. <laughs> You'd think the hospital would have the best insurance. Actually, no. from what I've heard, based on friends who are in the medical industry, that's totally not true. Yep. Not um, true. They tend to have really bad insurance. Really bad insurance. Great insurance are all of like the uh, the techie companies. So Facebook, Spotify, they cover IVF 100%. You get great like preventative coverage. I'm not really sure how that works. I guess maybe they, I don't know, they just take care of their employees a little bit better. 
When I worked at my W-2 job, my health insurance was $50 a month, and I'm pretty sure it covered some of IVF. Now I'm self-employed, technically. So I have insurance through Liberty HealthShare, but they're like a Christian HealthShare organization. So they're not really an insurance company, so they're free to deny whatever they feel like. And I have a feeling that they would kind of be like, it's God's will that you can't have children. So bad, so sad, not accepting any of this. I wasn't sure if the stained glass shop gave you insurance. (laughs) No, they give me $10 an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right. And a great experience. Absolutely. And I learned a lot. And she's wonderful. But there's definitely no insurance, except for the fact that I wear gloves and a mask. (laughs) (laughs) That's the reason for FI, right, though? So you can do something that you love. Doesn't matter how much you make. Absolutely. Yeah, I just have to be careful not to put super glue in my eye or stick my finger to my eyelid like she did one time. (laughs) Oh, dear Lord. Have you guys... Have you guys ever heard of IVF scholarships? Yes. We applied for quite a few, actually. Unfortunately, a majority of them are need-based. And when you're working five, six shifts at a hospital and overtime at the fire station, you don't necessarily qualify for the need-based. There are a lot of good ones out there. And I can give you a great resource that you can kind of put in at the end of the episode after yeah, this. Yeah, if you put it in like. the show notes, that would be awesome. And can you give us an idea? Like, what do you mean need-based? Like, what income were they kind of capping it at? So they never gave you an actual number, but basically it was if you could possibly afford it or figure out how to get a loan on it, then it was a little bit harder for you to get it. They never said that you weren't eligible, but it just made it harder. And a few of them do require like a $50 application fee. And that goes back towards their foundations and everything. And I mean, it goes to a good cause, but when you're shelling out the cash for the medical aspect, that $50 is kind of meant a lot. So I didn't apply for any of those, but some covered, I mean, up to $20,000, $50,000. There's a lot of really good ones out there. They do have you send in your medical records. So you have to have proof of infertility. A lot of them may ask for like a financial plan of sorts. So how you plan on paying for it if they don't give you the grant And they'll ask you for a backstory and just a little bit about your life and your infertility journey and things like that. But yeah, we applied for three or four. But the best ones that we did was actually our clinic. We kind of got donations through our doctor, basically from him kind of feeling bad for us and really us doing everything we could for the baby. He would throw in some things and he even advocated for us to get a little discount from the genetic company that was testing all of our embryos. Yeah, he actually wrote a uh, scholarship essay of sorts to the geneticist uh, company. So he was really helpful. And a little tip is for drugs, your cycles are going to vary. Like every person is different. And sometimes our cycles would run long and we would not have enough drugs. And when the drugs cost you three to $5,000 per cycle, even a day extra is an extra $800. So our doctor would donate some medications and give us one or two injections, which one day I looked down at my belly as Jimmy was injecting me and realized that's $600 in one injection just going right in there. So each little ampule of medication saved us a lot. Are you afraid of needles? I am not afraid of injecting anyone. I'm actually an IV therapy nurse as well as an ER nurse. But I passed out in the bathroom at work the first time I tried to give myself my injections. (laughs) So that was my job every day. 
So I had to have, I had one or two coworkers that I trusted at work, um, who we kind of kept it under wraps that I was doing it there. And then if I was home, yeah, Jimmy had to do them because I couldn't. And some of those needles get a little bit big. For the most part, they're actually painless, but it's a mental game. So for these scholarships, I'm trying to figure out, are they nonprofits? Are they religious groups? It's all different, actually. There's some uh, large companies out there that just, I guess, Part of their family maybe had been affected by it, and they offer some grants. Some are not. We don't. I haven't seen a lot of the religious ones. One that we used. A <laughs> yeah, lot. actually, I think because <laughs> I think that falls under a religious gray area, kind of. So I think most <laughs> of them are nonprofits. Oh right, okay. Well, I was thinking like Americans <laughs> making babies or something. Like, what is this like group that's paying people to help them have kids? Like that. I mean, it's great, but it just seems interesting. Yeah, no, it's just it's a lot of them are places where they've been affected or they're helping women with infertility issues already. And they just have these grants that they get from their donors. So they're not frequent. So they're not just handing out tons of cash, but they'll have like a $5,000 one that you can apply for once a year. And it's kind of like mini scholarships, I guess. You're not always going to get the full chunk of it, but even to get $5,000 would be a huge, a huge help. And looking through them, actually, I have a few written down. They're all nonprofits that I'm looking at, and they're just people who want to help. Okay, we'll link to those in the show notes for sure. And I realized that we talked about HSA slightly, but we didn't really define it for anyone who's new to it. So this is a health savings account. And a lot of us in this financial independence community are aware of these accounts because they're triple tax advantaged, which means that they're tax-free going into the account, they're tax-free for growth, and then they're tax-free when you remove them. So it's like the trifecta, the holy grail of FI retirement account plans. And a lot of us are using them, even though maybe we don't necessarily plan to use them for health. Like you could technically save your receipts for years and then use the money later, like 40 years down the line. But your employer has to offer a high deductible plan in order for you to be eligible for an HSA. Yes. Or you're self-employed and you just open one. You can do that too. I did have that when I had my insurance through the hospital. But that was actually prior to us doing this. And we used it for a few different things. We had some. Yeah, actually, you're, you're uh, we had a flex spending, a flex oh, spending account for years. Yeah, it's a different uh, type of account. Oh, yeah, that's an FSA, which resets the balance every year. So you yeah. have to use yeah. it or lose it. Use it or lose it. We had no HSA access, unfortunately. Oh, bummer. Yeah, the HSA limits, they're 6900 for a family in 2018 or 3450 for an individual. What kind of companies generally offer that? Anybody. The last three that I've worked for, they have offered it. So I don't know. I guess maybe I, I got lucky, but they're large Fortune 500 companies. But I have been trying to max it out. It adds up over time. Yeah, it's just interesting I, that the medical field doesn't offer that. <laughs> I had an HSA in my W-2 job, which, again, is a, a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. So maybe it's better. But, you know, keep in mind the deductible is high and you have to look at your total max out of pocket. Because when I had the HSA, I ended up getting my appendix out and the surgery was 31000 but my total max out of pocket was like 5000 or something. So I saved on the overall thing and I removed my organ that was whatever it was happening to it. I don't even understand it. <laughs> Actively trying to kill you. Actively yeah. trying to yeah. kill me. Kill yes. You. Assassinating me. But it ended up being fine. But I would say, like, you got to kind of roll the dice when you use HSAs a little bit. Like, you have to be prepared to spend the out-of-pocket, in my opinion. If you're like my former coworker who had 
micro preemies, then you max out your deductible on day one of the year and all your health care is basically covered for for the entire year. Free after that, yeah. With the IVF, you'd have to think because you're going to tons of appointments. So some people may think, oh, it's better to do like the copay insurance, but that adds up over time. So you got to look at the total cost and try to estimate it over the year. For that though, because I mean, zero is covered and I believe the statistic is 60% of people who do it have zero coverage. So it doesn't matter what your deductible is, you're paying everything out of pocket. And a lot of times they want that money up front. So credit cards were our friends, not the best plan, but that's what got us through. (laughs) Did you ever negotiate your bill? So when Gwen and I went to Camp Mustache, we had this doctor, she ran this session where she was telling us like, be a bulldog and just negotiate everything and like upfront get quotes and look at different providers. Did you guys do any of that stuff? Uh, We did a little bit of that. We've actually, between the two of us, have had a lot of medical, uh, a lot of medical issues over the years and we've negotiated Every hospital stay we've ever had, or she, I should say she has negotiated every hospital stay we've ever had, and, and every single time has been discounted. Can you just explain that? I mean, I have never done this. I don't understand. Like, I get my bill, and I just call the, the billing number, and then I say, I'm not going to pay this, or what do you do? <laughs> Got to be a little bit more polite about it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you get the bills. And the important thing with all healthcare is when you get a bill, look at it, call your insurance, go over it. They try to double bill you on a lot of things or charge you for things that you didn't have. And you just have to be a knowledgeable consumer in the medical aspect of things. Somebody told me that you should check all the codes, like have them go through the codes because sometimes they put the wrong code on a procedure and the code that they put on there might not be covered, but the procedure that you actually had is. Yes. So if they code you wrong for the reason why you're having the procedure or some things used during it, that can affect it. It's a little bit hard for a layperson to do that. But if you're really kind of struggling with medical bills, that would be something to look into. We didn't have to do that for most because our insurance really is quite good. So say a hospital stay for us, regardless of whether we stayed for 24 hours or two weeks. My husband was in the hospital for quite a while once. It's seven fifty out of pocket. So that doesn't sound like much, but it was a lot to us. And when we had to do it multiple times, that's a lot of money. So I would just call them and say, hey, I can't pay all of this. What are you willing to take? And they kind of negotiate with you from there. Also, believe it or not, if you're an employee, they'll give you a discount, but you have to call them. They will not automatically give you the discount. So they don't tell anyone about this. And I called them and said I wasn't going to pay all the way. And she said, oh, well, I can give you a 50% discount for being an employee. And I said, well, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but I appreciate the money anyway. (laughs) I always negotiate, even with the fertility, there's not a lot of wiggle room. The price is what the price is. And I still, like, I would scrutinize every bill that we got from them and make sure that that's what we had done. And even so, still, sometimes I think we ended up paying for a thing or two here that hadn't actually been done, but it was kind of a package price that they charge you for. And the first time, zero discounts. But as you kind of establish and create this relationship, then you have a little bit more wiggle room. And we did get, I think, 20% off the second round. And the third round, like I said, he had written the letter to, our doctor had written the letter to the genetics company and got us, I think, $4,000 off of the testing. And he also gave us a big discount as well. Yeah. So also too, you can go to the hospital and either like say, Hey, I'm going to pay in cash. You don't have to go in through insurance, 
what's your cash price? Because sometimes the cash price for procedures and insurance price are completely different. Yes. So for hospitals, that's great. Like if you have either bad insurance or your own insurance or even no insurance, that's a really good way to do it. That's another portion of IVF. It's not the same. It's not the same world. So when you're going through the IVF, they'll give you a price list. They'll work with you. There are options. There are loans. But they didn't care if we tried. If we had built up all this cash, they didn't care if we were paying them cash, credit card, or selling our dog. They didn't care. They wanted the money that they wanted. So you guys weren't able to negotiate for the IVF? Not much. Just to get... Not successfully. Not successfully. (laughs) But the donation portion was a big help for us. Yeah. And and when you're saying donation, it's not like the doctor took out of his personal retirement fund. It was just like the hospital, (laughs) the place kind of like provided a discount. Well, when she's saying donation, she's actually meaning they would donate some medication to us. Meaning they had medication there oh, instead I of us having to buy all of it, they would donate some of the medication they had. Oh, I see. That's what she means. Oh, okay. Did you ever look in like buying your drugs anywhere else? Like, I guess, can you get them online or like other countries? Oh, yeah. Or? yeah, we we talked about earlier, we tried to buy them overseas and it got flagged at customs and never made it to us. But we did try other places because they're, I mean, they're basically anywhere. Even Walgreens, they have a, like a specialty pharmacy that you can get them at. And there's actually a couple discount programs for the drugs that you can kind of apply for, Design RX, First Steps, a few different things. They're not necessarily need-based, but they can either deny you or give you the discount based on whatever their preferences of the day. But it's worth a try. I mean, it can give you up to 75% off of them. In terms of financing, so let's say that someone does choose to use financing, you guys use a personal loan. Would you consider like shopping around or seeing if you can get approved for like like a student loan or a mortgage loan or some other type of loan that may have a lower interest rate? Yeah, we didn't know nearly as much about finance back then as we do now. Yeah, HELOC might be a good idea. Going to your credit union, getting a personal loan is usually a low rate at a local credit union. Zero percent credit cards is what we basically, we had a pretty high income with pretty low debt when we started. So we were able to get some pretty high credit limits on 0% cards. And that's just the route we went. Also family loans. If you're lucky enough to have that. If you're lucky enough to have family. Privilege around, yeah. A lot of people aren't, but this is kind of, your family kind of comes together in times for this and will help you in ways that you'd never expected. And obviously we had to pay them all back, but at the time it was money and we were very happy to have it. All right, cool. So then let's move on to your journey. Okay, so I know that you guys were in massive debt and then you paid off over $120,000 in two years. So that's incredible. What would you attribute to that success? Well, certainly it wasn't the way I presented it. Basically, we found out we were pregnant, which was awesome. I started researching because I looked up and we're $120,000 in debt, 90 of it's medical. So I start researching and figuring out what we're going to do. And after two weeks of research, I just come home one day and say, hey, we're going to pay all this off in two years. And she looks at me like I'm crazy. But as the supportive wife she is, she's like, "Uh, okay, I guess we are. So we got started. I mean, we started working. Well, we kept working overtime. Uh, We sold my truck and we sold our house. Now, the house did not actually pay off any debt for us. We bought another house with the proceeds, but it lowered our Monthly expenses by quite a bit, by a downsizing. Oh, I know how that feels. It's a yes, great feeling. Yes, yes. And now we're trying to downsize again. We're slowly but surely downsizing to where we should be. 
yeah, we sold all of that. And then I literally sold everything but the paint off the walls. I discovered furniture flipping as my little side hustle. And I would pull things out of the trash or buy them offline or Goodwill and paying them, sell them cheap, and it would get us some quick money. On Craigslist? Oh, I, I try to stay away from <laughs> Craigslist. I have a small fear, and I don't know why, of Craigslist. But no, I would sell them on OfferUp, Facebook. Uh, there's a bunch of platforms like Marketplace and then local Facebook groups that you can sell them on, like yard sale groups and stuff like that. So Yeah, I should point out, well, when I said we were going to do it in 24 months, we ended up doing it basically right by the time our daughter was born, we were done paying it all off. And we have solidly middle-class careers. You know, she's a nurse, I'm a firefighter. But I uh, recognize that we made a lot more than a middle-class income in that year. We worked a ton of overtime and sold some things. And we made, you know, almost about 170K that year that we paid off the 120 and then lived on the rest. So then what did you guys do after the baby was born? Did you both continue to work? My wife has a pretty creative career hack in that she works a travel nursing assignment eight months a year, every year at the same hospital that happens to only be an hour away. So the timing lined up perfectly where we had our daughter at the end of her contract. So she got to take the next four months off. Four or five months. Yeah, that was not (laughs) planned. It was a Hail Mary when we got pregnant, but it just kind of all fell into place. So took that time off and then went back to work. And we don't work nearly as much overtime, so we don't make... Yeah, there's no overtime now. But yeah, we both still work. She's still doing that contract job, and I'm still a firefighter. Well, that's a great hack. I know travel nurses can make tons of money, but typically I, I see them there like traveling all around the country. You can get a travel nurse assignment so close to your actual house. That's crazy. Yeah, they have some different stipulations for each contract, but this one was you had to live 50 miles away, and I live 52. So (laughs) (laughs) I was actually willing to move the house a little bit in order to get that job. No, but there's a lot of different little hacks that you can find, especially with my career. There's always a job somewhere, and I was a little bit afraid to make the move. Jimmy, three years to convince me to do something different than what I had started in. So I'm really glad that I did that. And there's a bunch of career hacks out there. Just got to look for them. So Jimmy, I have a question about firefighting that's not really related at all to infertility, if that's okay. I talked to somebody recently and he's a firefighter out in California and he's a little older than you and has been a career firefighter, but his body is starting to give out and he kind of wants to transition into an easier job, a job that's easier on his body and comes with a little less demand by the public. So what would you say for him to do? That's actually a great point. And it's part of the reason that we're pursuing financial independence. I truly do enjoy my job. And I I don't just say that I enjoy it. And I only work two days a week. They're 24 hour shifts. But it's physically demanding and not only physically demanding, uh, there's many studies showing that going from zero to 100 in the middle of the night is very detrimental to your health. Hypertension, cancers, strokes, heart attacks, it's all raised in our profession. So if I was telling him to do anything, it would be to pursue financial independence. I'm not going to stay in this job until, hopefully, (laughs) unless it kills me early, but until it kills me, I... If I could do, I've been in there six years. If I could do 15 to 20 years max, I will consider that a beautiful career and I'll move on. I've, I've had my share of health 
problems already, some not even related to the job. Speaking of organs attacking yourself, I had gallbladder cancer even before I got hired. So just higher likelihood if, if you can pursue financial dependence and save your, save your body, that's a good thing to do. Are you eligible for a pension as a firefighter? Yes. So if I do 25 years, that's considered full pension age at my department. That would make me 46 years old. So that would still be a incredibly early retirement, but I can retire, you know, I could do 20 years and retire at 40 and just put my pension on hold until I reach retirement age which of 46 and start collecting a reduced pension. Do you have a 457 and a 401k? I do not have a 401k. I have the 457, which as most people know in the community anyway, that's one of the best retirement accounts, if not the best retirement account available because I can use it as soon as I cease employment. Oh, you don't get the double because I thought like public employees, they get the double. Some, yeah. No, there's a ton uh, that do. The city I work for does not have that option. We have a pension that we pay into. And we have the 457 and that's all that's available to us. Okay, cool. So what, what's your guys' plan? Like what, you're a member of the fire community. What are you guys planning on doing? So the plan changes so much. It's, it, <laughs> it's a fluid plan. But within the next few years, my wife still works. She works that contract job, but then she also still works in the summer doing IV therapy and some other side jobs. Uh, within the next few years, she'll quit those altogether and just do her contract job. and She'll be able to cease working if she chooses to probably within the next five to seven years, and I'll continue to work as long as I enjoy it. The ultimate plan when we retire is to is to move. I know we live in South Florida, so people think that's uh, a lot of people think that's paradise and it's beautiful, but I hate the heat. My wife loves the heat. I hate the heat, so I want to move somewhere mountainous, but I think it'll probably be 10 years that we'll live where we live. I think the really, really cool thing about fire is it's so personalized. Like Jimmy said, I can choose to stop working. I don't know that I ever will completely stop working. I'm the type of person who has to have something to do constantly. That, And I really love what I do in interacting with people. That being said, I would also like to not work. <laughs> so maybe like a one day a week job or kind of like you're doing, like you get paid $10 an hour, but you don't care because you're loving it. So that's our goal in the next five to seven years is to just be able to completely choose what we're doing and just live a more free life. Yeah, we travel a lot, but the goal of the next few years will be to travel, you know, Longer. six, eight, ten weeks at a time and try some slow travel out. I think a few tips that I want people to know is that it would be completely different if we had started our journey to fire a little bit earlier before we needed to do our IVF. Yes, it would be the same amount of money. Yes, it would be the same amount of emotional stress. But the financial stress would be completely different. Even though you'd have to use your emergency fund, it is there. That's what it's there for. And we could liquidate some things right now and probably make it happen a lot easier. So for all of you listening out there, if you are already in the process of fire and you need to go through this, I promise you it is not as hard as our story sounds. Um, we just did it the wrong way. And we learned a lot of lessons. And that's what's got us to where we are now. How are you guys seeing your timeline? Like, I guess the reason I'm asking, are you still doing the travel nurse that pays more because you want to accelerate your time to FI? Or would you switch something easier and just like kind of hang out for a little bit? Have you thought of the trade-off there? 
Yeah. So when I got the job, I was thinking of the trade-off because it is an extra drive and it's a different facility. And some days it's a little bit harder of a job, but for the most part, and any ER nurses out there will understand this. If you're an ER nurse, that's what you do. And when I do my other jobs, my summer jobs, I kind of crave that chaos. So I keep this travel assignment, not just for the money. I love the money. Don't get me wrong. But I also like the ER work and I like the fact that I get a break, I recoup. And then when I come back for our second, for the next season, then I'm relaxed, stress-free and just in a better mental place. Cause I don't know if you guys know a lot about Southwest Florida. We are very, very seasonal. We go from a small population to five times that population between the months of October and like April, May. And it's a lot of an older population, the snowbirds. So the ER jobs are insane for those months. So I love the fact that I get to go and then leave. So no, I wouldn't change what we're doing. I don't just do it for fire. I do it because I love it. And it just so happens that it also really contributes to how quickly we can achieve our goals. Awesome. All right. So I think it's time for the final two. Gwen, I'll kick it off to you. All right. So Jenny, Jimmy, if people would like to get a hold of you and talk shop about IVF and travel nursing and firefighting and other things, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, we're on all the social media, on Twitter at Living Life Loving Us, on basically all the social media platforms at Living Life Loving Us. You can check out the blog at livinglifelovingus.com. You, you can, can always email, email us. Jenny will be the one you'll want to talk to when she emails you back because she's a lot nicer and more personal than I am. So she'll be the one responding. People say that about Gwen too. She raises me. It's true. I can see that. It's I true. See that. It's true. It's true. And I want to give two shout outs on your social accounts. So your Instagram has a lot of cool things and it also has some of your furniture flips. Like, oh, yeah, I like that. Thank and, you. And then on the blog, you have the cooking with a fireman section with all the recipes. And I love when like fire blogs have a recipe section. That's why I love Angela from Tread Lightly or Tire Early's blog. It's more of like a oh, lifestyle. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah, she's great. So it's really cool that you also have that on yours. Yeah, we have a little bit this side. The recipes are because if you're going to live this bit of a frugal life, you have to get a bit creative. And all the recipes that we do, we cut our budget down to this month. It's 400 bucks, I think, for groceries, which is still quite a bit. But we eat amazingly every night. And you can kind of see that on our website. <laughs> Love it. And Gwen, last question. All right. What is your wildest dream? What is my wildest dream? Um, first thing that pops to my head is swimming in a giant pool of gummy bears. But I've said that out loud before and my husband thinks it's a little silly. So I guess a more realistic one would be to cruise around the world with my husband. I think when we are retired, that would probably be a pretty awesome way to spend, I don't know, three, four months and just see the world. Thank you guys for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks Thanks for for having us. us. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Go to our website, firedrillpodcast.com to continue the discussion and get the link to our private Facebook group. If you like us, leave us a review on iTunes. If you're like me, you have no idea how to do that. So in the podcast app or in iTunes, search for Fire Drill Podcast, find it, click the reviews tab and write something to make my mother proud of me. We read every single review and want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for making this podcast possible. 